Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So every now and then I do an interview where I feel like I've, I've sort of stepped back in time, and yet I've got this 
this uh, ability to kind of see into the future. I had this uh, opportunity today and I interviewed the former mayor of Toronto, David Miller, who ha has practiced law for many years but who's also now running the World Wildlife uh, Federation, WWF, here in Canada. We talked about so many things. We, we talked about his move from politics uh, to the environment and to, we talked about climate change and a common purpose. We talked about Margaret Thatcher, which is kind of interesting and about their living planet report. And, and, and we, we talked about the immediacy of the almighty dollar and, and how the economic system that we currently have built around us is, is based on immediate sort of gratification. And we talked about leadership and, and I think one of the things for me, you know, we had a few laughs as well. Uh, I think uh, David actually sings, believe it or not, in the interview. Uh, but we talked about listening and we talked about leadership and about the importance of that for whatever it is uh, that we're doing. We talked about how community and about how uh, wanting to or needing to get engaged and dig a little deeper and go beyond scratching the surface was so essential to the common good and to doing the right thing. So buckle up. Uh, not one of uh, my longer interviews, but I think you're going to really enjoy it and uh, you might even listen to it twice. Uh, David Miller on Face to Face. So welcome to Face to Face on this uh, beautiful uh, Monday morning. That probably doesn't mean too much to you because you're listening probably about three weeks from now. Uh, uh, all those out there in David Peck Live Land and Rabble Land. Uh, we've got a really interesting guest with us today, David Miller, uh, former mayor of Toronto, and he's, I believe, the president of uh, WWF. Thanks for joining us today, David. Well, it's a pleasure. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I think <laughs> you is know, we've covered everyone. Kind of the eternal world of the internet. That's so, exactly right. And I guess good night. Oh, it sounds like goodbye. Well, so. what's so amazing to me is that somebody, you know, three weeks from now could be listening to this in Burkina Faso. That's pretty cool when you think about Let's it. Let's not get our hopes up. That's right. That's right. I've heard you're very popular. <laughs> Um, so, mayor, politician, activist, um, academic on some level. Uh, I heard you speak at the Beyond GDP event uh, not long ago at the Humber College uh, at Humber College here in Toronto. So you've moved sort of from politics uh, to the environment, to animal rights, and so on. I mean, what, what's the connection, um, or is there even a connection? Do you see it as a radical shift? Um, well, I think the connection for me is always. Well, at least since a relatively young age, there's been two things that have motivated me. Um, one is a sense of social justice and inclusion, and the second has been uh, a passion for nature and the environment. And I, I think, you know, at the moment, the issue of climate change connects both quite intimately because uh, climate change is a huge, obviously, a huge issue for nature and the environment. But it's also an issue for people from the perspective of social justice because the impacts of climate change are felt far more by uh, the least well-off amongst us. But th those, you know, those two things have motivated me always. They motivated me, or at least social justice motivated me to get into law and become a lawyer because I really believe that through the law you could create justice, um, which is somewhat true perhaps, probably yeah. not entirely true. Um, and it motivated me a lot in my political career. You know, if, if you look back on my time as mayor, we had quite extraordinary achievements in both the realm of social justice and the environment. Um, so after I left office, I, I went back to the practice of law and uh, really enjoyed it. I was treated very well by an excellent law firm, Erdin Burles, one of the 
best, if not the best law firms in Canada, in, in my view, terrific lawyers. Uh, but I, the one thing I missed was that sense of community well-being. And I was working on uh, environmental initiatives, broadly defined, like helping you know, finance clean energy, those kinds of things. But I, I really, uh, that sense of common purpose, and, and once I'd moved originally from the private practice of law to, to politics, uh, you know, I had a chance to work on that sense of common purpose, both about social justice, the environment, and other issues. Um, and, uh, you know, I missed that. So WWF is, is a fantastic organization because they're international. They've got a presence nationally in Canada. We're doing some really superb work bringing together the issues of nature and people. Our philosophy is that we should find solutions that help both people and nature thrive. So that this idea that the economy and the environment are opposed we're trying to bring them together. Um, and it's a great opportunity for me, a great organization, and uh, when offered the opportunity, I jumped at the chance. Lo lo love to talk about that opposition in a second, that, that, that uh, you know, nature versus people or so on. Why is it that we seem to polarize these issues? You know, instead of talking about a community being inclusive, it seems that so often these things are exclusive in a second. How come you're not a cynic, politician, lawyer, now you work in the nonprofit sector? Well, I've, I've seen... Or maybe you are a cynic, I don't know. <laughs> no, I've seen what change is possible when people decide to do it. And ultimately, it's in the hands of people. You know, often uh, government gets described as sort of this thing outside of us out there. But it really isn't. It's actually us. Um, and it's the same thing, you know, in the, in the non-profit world. If, if we can come together... Um, around a, a cause, we can make really important, significant change. And I saw it in my political career, both as a councillor and as uh, mayor. I've, I saw it as head of the C40, uh, international cities, 40 of the largest cities in the world working together on climate change. And I see it today in the nonprofit world, and I've got absolutely no doubt of that, about that. You know, people are busy. Um, you know, particularly when you've got a young family, you're very busy putting food on the table and taking care of your kids. But people... Uh, want to to do the right thing. They want to be part of a society that's doing the right thing. And when they decide to, people can make amazing change. So you do believe uh, in the power of one, at the risk of sounding cliche, one vote, one dollar, one volunteer hour, etc.? Well, we have in our house, we have um, this little saying of... Uh, I think everybody's probably heard it, but I think it's true. There's a boy throwing starfish back. It's hanging right. in our in our bathroom, and you know the man says to him, "There's thousands of them. You know you can't yeah. make a difference." And sure. he throws a starfish back, and he says, "What well, made a difference for that one?" You know, we are here at the corner of Mount Pleasant and Eglinton. Just across the street is a school that has a purpose-built daycare. Hmm. When this is a political story. But it's about people coming together in different neighborhoods, some well-off, some less well-off. That school was built by the Bob Ray NDP government in Ontario. And they had a philosophy that schools should be kind of community hubs and should have children and neighborhoods should have access to the buildings, because they're public buildings, including for athletic activities. And that you should have purpose-built daycares inside the schools. And they, as part of that program, six schools happened to be completed 
1995-1996, just at the end of the government or after the government, with purpose-built daycares that the Mike Harris government, when they got elected, cut the funding for. You know, they, I don't know whether it was because they believed that, you know, there shouldn't be both parents working or whatever archaic philosophy they had. Mm -hmm. They said, we're not going to fund those purpose-built daycares in schools, which is on every possible measure completely short-sighted. Um, and so the people in the communities who were being served, one of which was Parkdale, where I represented as a councillor, you know, spoke up and said, we want these daycares. And the elected officials, Ann Johnson in this neighbourhood, John Godfrey in this neighbourhood, who was a member of parliament, and I and a couple others, worked to get some funding from the then regional government to have the daycares run. Uh, and we managed to make it happen. But we couldn't have made it happen if the people weren't there. And, you know, that was, let's say, 1996, possibly 97, <clears throat> almost 20 years ago. Mm. Wow. So there's 20 years of children who've had access to high-quality early, early learning opportunities in uh, Central Lakington School right across the street here, Parkdale Public, four other schools across Toronto. That's hundreds, possibly thousands of kids, yeah, when right? You think, when you think of the potential, I'm working on an initiative helping to raise some funds for uh, young Malawian um, uh, men and women coming out of uh, high school, uh, sorry, to get them through high school, four years of high school education for 200 kids. 200 kids could change the future of that country if they get the right education and they get put in, you know what I mean? And they, it's, it's all about those splash and ripple. I mean, it sounds so corny on some level, but here you I are don't think it sounds corny. It's 20 real. years of infrastructure. Right. It's 20 years of children having high-quality education who otherwise would have missed that opportunity, 20 years of parents being able to work knowing their children were safe and learning. I mean, I mean it's massively important. And that's one little, you know, right. small right. thing I can point to. And it all starts with people coming together. Um, and uh, people want to, they're anxious to. I, I found one of the things I found when I was mayor was, uh, particularly on environmental issues, people stopped me all the time and said, what can I do? Hmm. What can I do, Mr. Mayor? What can I do? Amazing. And uh, I, I th that sense of community is, is really part of all of us. You know, Margaret Thatcher once said something along the lines of... Surprised you're quoting Margaret Thatcher. Well, she anyway, said... That's another story. Yeah. Well, she, just to show how wrong she was. She said, right. <laughs> she said there's no such thing as community. It's completely ludicrous. Right. And everybody knows wow. that's not true. Wow. Right? If you're in a small town in Newfoundland or a small fishing village that was devastated because of the moratorium on cod fishing 20 years ago, um, you know your whole community suffered. It's not you as an individual, it's the whole community. And I'm just thinking of that because we, we happen to be working with uh, the fishing industry in Newfoundland to try and bring back the cod fishery on a sustainable basis. But that sense of community is there, it's real, um, it's manifest in people. Um, you know, sometimes people are a bit quiet because they are busy, they've got to take care of their own lives. But they will come together uh, around issues or needs and make things happen. I've got no doubt about that, and I've so, seen it too many times. So young people supposedly don't vote, and I think some of the stats suggest that that's true. Uh, is this, do you think, is that about a, is that an apathy? Or is it a uh, disregard? Is it a disrespect? Is it a, you know, I too believe, like you, that 
community exists and that people come together and get things done. And I believe in that splash and ripple effect and domino effect and so on. But do you think individually we really do believe it? Like sometimes I wonder, I teach at Humber College and I sort of some, sometimes I see these postgraduate students in international development who seem to lack a certain edge, passion, commitment. Well, you know, young people develop at different rates and, you know, my view of the typically lower voting rates amongst young people is that politicians aren't appealing to them, mm. aren't addressing their issues. And they don't see somebody that motivates them to vote for. And I, I think that's actually pretty straightforward. And one of the greatest compliments I ever had as a politician, and this came more after I was mayor than uh, councillor, because you're, you're you know, far more well-known because you're in the media all the time. Right. I used to get stopped regularly, I'd say almost every day, for seven years. In fact, I still get stopped, but not quite every day on this on this point. And told by quite young people that I was the first person they ever voted for. Wow. Which is um, incredibly, uh, I mean, it's obviously a compliment, but it's an incredibly engaging comment because mm-hmm. it's saying that, in effect, they weren't motivated to vote, or at least that the values I stood for did motivate them to vote. It resonated with them on some level. Yes. And so I, you know, I know from my own, and that, that's you know, like a decade of being stopped every day. It's lots and lots of people. And so that told me very clearly that when we speak as people seeking public office, when we speak to, to values and projects and issues that young people care about, they're going to vote. And I, I, you know, I, I think that's a big part of the challenge. Where do you think the whole authenticity and transparency thing comes into play from a political perspective. Ah, they're all liars. I mean, how, I mean, talk a little cliche. Yeah, that, I mean... And I think, I think, frankly, having worked in the nonprofit sector for so many years, sometimes I wonder that about nonprofit leaders. You know, saying one thing, doing another. I, I think you have to be authentic, and you obviously have to be transparent. There's no question about that. But the best politicians, to me, are authentically themselves. Mm. Um, and... It's very clear who they are, um, and it's clear to everybody, and they don't, you know, deviate from from who they are. You know, you can learn and grow as a politician. I think people accept that and accept your positions changing over time um, as evidence of you learning and growing. But you know, somebody who says different things to different people. First of all, how do they do it? Like, how do you remember that yesterday, you know, you supported X and today you supported not X? But secondly, I I think that's what makes people really cynical. You know, I've I've met a lot of elected officials and the vast majority of them have been well-meaning people um, who are really trying to make a difference. Um, There are some who are in it just for power or other reasons, but that's true in every walk of life, right? but not everybody has the highest motives. I think the vast majority of politicians um, are motivated to make a positive difference to the city, the province, or, or the country. Um, and but some some get a little scared, you know. If you particularly if you've been elected a while, it's a real privilege, mm-hmm. and you don't want to sure. lose. Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I always took the philosophy: I'd rather lose fighting for what I believed in, right, than um, 
you know, equivocate. Imagine equivocating on your principles and then losing. Imagine how you'd feel. Right, right. right? That would just well, be awful. Sadly, some of those folks probably still can sleep well at night. I think that's sort of what got them in that place and you know, in the, that position in the first place. Well, I can understand the pressures that lead you to that. Yeah, it's obviously yeah. a little bit different with party politics. Yeah, sure, sure. When you're part of a party, you're buying into an overall philosophy, yeah. and you have to accept that you're not going to win every battle within that philosophy. It's part of... So, you know, you may have to accept that on issue, you know, some issue, the party's position isn't quite as strong as you want. But when you're, you know, running for municipal office, it's you. You spoke, um, so we're, we're definitely a thread here. I love it. You spoke, uh, or I heard you speak recently. You talked about uh, somewhere in Canada, there was an issue, I believe, with foxes stealing chickens. I'm going to just throw that out there. I don't know if it is. And you said really quickly, and the solution is we're going to shoot the foxes. I spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia and Cambodia. There is a dolphin, a freshwater dolphin called the Irrawaddy dolphin. That's pretty rare. That's endangered. I've seen them from a distance. They're kind of funny and ugly looking, actually. They're endangered. Why do I care about that? Why should I care that a farmer's shooting a fox that's eating his chickens? I don't know if that was the actual story, David. It was wolves. Wolves, thank you. And what had happened is wolves are becoming more of a predator because we've built these wolf highways that are also known as oil pipelines and, you know, electricity grids. But they become wolf highways. And so the solution to that is to shoot the wolves instead of trying to change the human activity in a way that doesn't create uh, an imbalance in nature. Why should we care about nature? Well, I mean, first of all, there's a religious moral issue here. You know, I'm, um, I'm an Anglican and... When I lived in England as a young boy, the church was everything. You know, my mum was the teacher in the village, the teacher. <laughs> That's awesome. Which is maybe why I believe so much in community, right? Because right. I saw it in right. our little village. Right. You mean you don't buy into Thatcher's comment? Uh, no. <laughs> and you know what? I went. I was in Scotland speaking uh, in 2011. It's four years ago. And I was driven to the airport. They were very gracious, which was about an hour from where we were speaking. And we drove through a town, and the driver said, you see this town? And I said, yes, 2011, okay. I said, yes. He said, nobody has worked here since Margaret Thatcher. Like, that's how devastating she was. Just destroyed communities blithely out of some incredibly wrong-headed economic theory. And and that damage still occurs. And it's funny, in the politics of the right, you know, they have these simplistic ideas um, we still see it in the school system in Toronto. It's still suffering from the cuts of the Harris government in 97, 98, 99. Still really suffering. Anyway, And isn't that what you're sort of saying by let's shoot the wolves? That's yeah. the simplistic response. It's a simplistic... Let's not talk about it or get a few ideas up on the whiteboard maybe. Wolves are honing in on our chickens or whatever. Let's shoot them. And, and this is why democracy matters and the ability to, to discuss and debate issues uh, because you know we can learn a lot from the First Nations people in Canada, whose tradition, uh, much more so, is to discuss an issue through until you can come to a common position, which might take a very long time. Right. But it's very important when you actually hear other people and listen to them. Uh, very, very important, and that's that's part of uh, the importance of people being. Engaged in politics or with nonprofits, and the politicians or the nonprofit leaders or the academic leaders, any segment of society, 
um, making sure that people know their voice is respected and listened to because you do come up with much better solutions. So, you know, going to the wolf call, does it make, well, first of all, let me go back. There's a moral issue here. Mm -hmm. Yes. Do we as human beings have the right to destroy this planet? Do we have the right to destroy species? Uh, I think the answer is no. You know, in the Anglican Church, when I was a boy, one of our hymns was "All Things Bright and Beautiful," right? All things bright and beautiful. <laughs> the good Lord made them all, and it, 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 you know, if you see the world that way, whether you're religious or not, doesn't doesn't really matter to me whether you're religious. I think the moral issue is the same, and it's the same across religions. We don't have the right to. Uh, to eliminate species, to destroy the planet. We've inherited the planet, and we have an obligation um, to leave it in better shape for the next generation. You know, that's what I got taught when we came to Canada. One of the things that helped me become Canadian was going canoeing. And I love it to <laughs> this a, day. That's a great phrase. Something that helped me become Canadian was going canoeing. Well, it's true. Maybe you know, we should invoke that at the higher level. Well, yeah. maybe we should. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, I'm in Ottawa next week. Anyone I can talk to? Yeah, to, well, talk to them all. <laughs> Let's talk to them all, yeah. They, they uh, you know, as a came here as a nine-year-old boy who knew cricket and soccer, right? And, um, and rain, how to deal with rain. Right. And I found snow, 40 below zero temperatures. We were in Ottawa. And no cricket, no soccer, just hockey. And I really didn't feel Canadian until in grade nine I went on a canoe trip cool. to Algonquin Park. And one of the things we were taught was you had to leave your campsite in better condition than when you got there, i.e. more natural. And I think that philosophy should apply to the planet. You know, at World Wildlife Fund, um, our Living Planet report last year showed that since the 1970s, 52% of all of the wildlife in the world has disappeared. Wow. More than half, not species, actual populations of wildlife. And that's really frightening. And, you know, we, we see it, you know, whales were harvested by humans for, for whale oil and blubber, you know, huge diminishing and to the extent that we basically had to ban whaling around the world. You know, the tiger's incredibly threatened. We see all sorts of species, uh, huge impacts from uh, you know, oil and gas development in, in Alberta, for example. Um, I don't think we have the right as humans to behave that way. It's mostly because of human economic activity. Lately, climate change has a huge impact. You know, polar bear habitat is threatened in the north uh, because uh, the sea ice season is much less and what happens is the, the polar bears need the sea ice to feed because they feed on seals on the ice. And if the season when they feed is shorter, they're less healthy and uh, mothers can't necessarily feed their cubs and uh, there's a whole negative chain. And we're seeing this happening right now. We have an obligation, I think, as humans because we have created these problems, we know they're real, the scientists all tell us they're real. We have an obligation to find solutions. Aren't, aren't the free marketers going to find the solutions? Aren't the no. entrepreneurs going to come up with a Wolf Highway-like initiative? That's no, going? because the, the reason the market doesn't work here is there's no value in our economic system on nature, on uh, diversity of species. There's no real value on the future, and we know that. 
you know, for example, if somebody is going to invest in an energy retrofit in a building, they want a three or four year payback. That's that right, right? Well, and it's the same in development, right? You get the big donor, DFAT D, comes alongside and says, "Here's three million bucks. Tell us what you did in one, three, or five years." Yes, you, you kind of can't do that. It's not ten or twenty. We just don't. The, the the government doesn't think enough about all they do think in the longer run because the government exists in the long run, so it does think to some degree, mm-hmm. but doesn't think enough. And the private sector is not because they're bad people. Money, um, the value of money is very immediate, so they don't price in the future. They also don't price in nature. They don't price in carbon. So all of these things aren't accounted for in the economic system. Sure, entrepreneurial innovation can help overcome some of these problems, but but economists, and that's what I studied with economics, mm. call it all externalities, i.e. things that are randomly outside the economy. Yeah, and foot, of course it's not. Economics plan- call it footnotes. Footnotes, yes. Yeah. Well, the planet is not a footnote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's where we live, and we only have one of them. Their uh, article in the Globe on, 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 I'm sure it's all over the net, but some couple of guys, uh, 120 hours to fly from Switzerland to Japan with a solar-powered uh, plane, um, and uh, what did I forget? At a was it a twenty-five mile, twenty-five miles an hour? I don't know if I want to get in that plane. I don't know about you, but well, I mean, those kind of things do make me hopeful. Oh, sure, sure. There's right? lots of potential. Yeah, yeah. But we have to collectively decide we're going to make these things happen. Yeah. And yeah, you back know, to community. I love it. And and people do want it to happen. Yeah. People will be fascinated by that solar plane. You know, the electric cars starting to come. But why is the internal combustion car having such staying power? It's cheaper. Why is it cheaper? Well, one of the reasons is all the externalities caused by burning oil are not priced in. So there's you know there there sure. Technology has a place. Entrepreneurs have a place, but so does leadership. And it's good. It's good. I mean, I think that's a great place to end. Uh, I always feel like when I speak to anyone, actually, in this sort of field—international uh, development, social justice, social change—that we're barely scratching the surface. And uh, maybe we can do a part two down the road. But thanks for thanks for taking the time today uh, to talk about the future. Well, happy to do it. Um, appreciate being on, and I'm going to make that last point again. Technology has a place. Entrepreneurs have a place, but so does leadership. And in Paris this fall, we're going to see if the countries of the world can show that kind of leadership. And I'm a little bit optimistic. Cities have shown that leadership. Been lots of mayors have been leaders. There's some business leaders are sh- sh- starting to show leadership. Lots of nonprofits. People want to see real change and a result. Um, it's not going to solve all the issues. It's only about climate change. Lots of other things happening. Uh, but if we see real leadership there, I think it will give people hope. And when people have that hope, they start to act themselves as well. Um, and I, I think it always comes back to, to all of us, not just a few. But at some moments, you need that leadership, and this is one of them. Wonderful way to end. Thanks so much for your time today. Pleasure.